Jason Leibel, superintendent of Ashland Greenwood Schools, he has an incredible leadership story to tell you. You know, most of the folks that I have on this show are business owners or business leaders, and their leadership responsibilities really take place from the four walls of their business, their employees. Well, a school superintendent has responsibilities for students, his staff, and the community, the taxpayers in the community. That's an awesome responsibility. And we're going to talk a little bit about how Jason embraces that leadership opportunity within the Ashland Greenwood District. You're also going to learn about the three R's, relationships, 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 a mantra that he leans on and leans into every day. But it's one thing to talk about how to build relationships. He will share with you specifically how to build those relationships. And lastly, culture. How do you build culture? Well, bottom line is, is he has a guiding light, a one-sentence principle that he lives by, that his staff lives by as well. And it helps to build the culture at Ashland Greenwood Schools that is indeed one to be impressed with. Folks, you're going to love this episode. There is lots to learn from Jason Leibel. And enjoy this episode of Leadership Lessons from Mayberry, brought to you by our talented producer, Grace Dunbar. Well, this is going to be fun because first superintendent I get to talk to, but I think of all the superintendents in the state, you had to be the best basketball player, right? Uh, there's a lot of good ones out there. Uh, I do some some Saturday morning basketball up again up in Wahoo with Brandon Lavalle, and he's pretty he's a pretty talented guy himself. So yeah. that's debatable. Well, we're, we're going to find out if it takes a basketball player to be a superintendent <laughs> by the time this interview Sounds gets good. done. But but Jason, you know, uh, we love to start with where your Mayberry is, where you grew up, the influences you had. You grew up in a little town called Virginia. You bet. Nebraska, not the state, but a little town, a uh, little teeny tiny dot on the map down by you Kansas. Bet. What was it like growing up in Virginia? Uh, fantastic. And I, people get confused when I mention Virginia, right? I, I yeah. grew up in Virginia. They think of the state. But but again, a small town. Gosh, I think at that point in time, maybe 100 people at max, you know, much smaller town now because a lot of folks just aren't staying. And so grew up on a farm uh, three miles south of Virginia. And so I call Virginia my hometown. Um, yeah, growing up on a farm was fantastic. Uh, we certainly learned how to work. That's for sure. Um, shoot, I was driving a pickup truck when I was seven or eight, driving a tractor when I was 10. No kidding. I'm seven or eight, you're driving. Driving a combine when I was 12 or 13. And so again, there's a lot of trust, um, from mom and dad to send us out on a farm and just kind of let us get the job done, you know? And so, um, you had to learn at an early age, responsibility, work ethic, um, accountability, um, up early, uh, work late nights. But again, I, I think Tim kind of what was instilled in me at an early age was, was again, that work ethic. Yeah. You know, I, I always am curious what a day is like in the summer, but here's what I want to know. Think back to when you're 12 or 13 day in the life of, of you on the farm. What did that look like? What time did you get up? What did you do? What were some of your chores? <laughs> you bet. So a uh, wake-up call was typically around 6 or 6.30, you know, and, and as I got older, I, I moved to the downstairs basement uh, bedroom, and the wake-up call was dad stomping on the floor above, making sure that we got up. And so we were up early, or it was we got up, dad went and did some of the chores, and he was rolling back in the driveway by 7 or 7.30 honking the horn. 
And if we weren't out the door when he that horn was honking, uh, there was there was trouble. There trouble so, yeah. so and then it was yeah, it was it was getting into the field, whether we were um, in the springtime planting season, you know, running a cultivator, um, things like that, or we also raised 150 head of cattle that we calved out. So it might have been tending to the cattle as well, but it was really nonstop. It was kind of interesting for me. I was kind of the cook of the family. Yeah. Uh, so dad would send me in at, at lunchtime to kind of prepare, prepare the meal for dad and the hired man and my brother. So another good thing is I learned how to cook and cook at an early age. Well, what'd you so, cook? Give me, give me Oh my line. gosh. It was, it was, it was pretty basic to, you, you get a can of spaghetti, you throw some hamburger <laughs> in there, you dress it up to, we might throw something in a crock pot, throw something on a grill pretty early, but, um, but I definitely learned how to cook. And so, um, that was another, another, I guess, thing I learned. And then it was, boy, you know, during harvest season or, or planting season, um, we might get in at eight, nine, ten o'clock at night, but I loved it. Yeah. I, I loved growing up on a farm. I loved being an attractor. Um, kind of loved that responsibility, and so it was. It was tough seeing your friends, you know, heading to the lake or or doing those different types of things. You know, we took one family vacation a year. It was to go to Lincoln to the hotel for a weekend so we could swim in a pool. So at that point in time, it was hard because you didn't quite understand, but you certainly, we certainly learned how to work. Yeah, but, you know, can they take the farmer out of you? Because I know I have seen you on a riding <laughs> tractor, a lot, riding a lawnmower down at the football field you on bet. a Saturday afternoon right? Uh, in the summer times. It's hard to get that farmer out of you, it isn't is, it? It is, right. And, and that's kind of my therapy, and it kind of takes me back to those ruts. It's certainly not the same as setting in a tractor or a combine, but... But I love it. I love just yeah. being out there and feeling like you're getting something something accomplished. Um, the good news is, you know, Virginia is uh, an hour away, hour and 15 minutes away. Dad still has the farm down there. Now he's moved off the farm, but we have the farmstead. And, and so there's the opportunity to get back and, and kind of, you know, putz around and, and take care of the farmstead a little bit. Yeah. You know, were you a daydreamer? Were you? A, because down in Virginia, and by the way, Virginia, Nebraska, I looked this morning, 72 is the population. Okay, I, I, I'm doubting that, but, but yeah, small town. Right. <laughs> and that was 2020 census, so right. it's probably smaller than that. Right. Um, so what did you do? Were you a daydreamer? Were you a reader? Were you just constantly going with sports? What was it like? You, you know, probably a daydreamer is a good way to put it. Um, yeah, I mean, you you had to have an imagination, right? Um, I had an older brother that was, that's, you know, um, 11, 12 months older than I was. So we, we played a lot, you know, and a lot of that time we were playing farm, right? If we, at a, at a young age, um, sports were a big part of us as well. You know, dad was uh, a, not only a farmer, but a, a coach, a basketball coach as well. So there was kind of this, this want to out of my brother and I to mm-hmm. play basketball, but there's also this expectation as well, and so we didn't have very we had very little downtime, and so it was kind of nice that my brother and I could could play one on one pickup games in the driveway and, and get some shots up, and then we also had access to the gymnasium as well with Dad coaching there. So so that was a big part of our our DNA growing up was was athletics. Mm-hmm. Now an interesting story here you you didn't coach against your father that I'm aware of, but you did no, actually did. coach against mm-hmm. your father, but he actually coached against you when you were in high school. That is and correct. That is a unique dynamic for any parent to go through and for a son to go through as well. I've got to hear more about what that was like. Very unique. You know, out of my two parents, mom was probably the hardest on me as far as, far <laughs> as uh, playing up to your ability and things like that. But again, having a father that um, through my freshman year at Lewiston, where I went to high school, was my PE teacher and basketball coach. 
And then he moved on to Tabrock, which was a neighboring district, and took the head boys job at Tabrock. So my my sophomore through senior year, I got to play against my dad. And uh, uh, kind of some stories there, the, the Binder family from Tabrock, and they have kiddos at, at Auburn, yes, successful very kiddos. Good. Todd and I were good friends, and I know we played Tabrock my junior year, and I I attempted to guard Todd, and I think he scored 43 points. <laughs> well, defense wasn't the, your the, game. The, the, defense was not part of my game. Um, but uh, So he scored 43. They knocked us off my junior year. And in my senior year, we played down at Tabor Rock, and I was having a pretty good season. And uh, I found myself playing against a box and one. <laughs> oh, your so, father. So, so my dad put a box and one on me, and uh, I didn't have a great game. Uh, but then we came back and played regular season, and, and we had some success against uh, Tabor Rock and Dad. And then – my first teaching job was at Southeast Consolidated, a small school. Um, I student taught there and then was able to move into the head coaching position. And at that point in time, Dad moved to the Pawnee City head boys job, and so I had the opportunity to coach against him as well. And so what a unique experience. Oh. You know, um, certainly my dad's somebody I, I greatly looked up to, um, just in general, but certainly as a basketball coach. And, and tough for my mom. I think she sat on... Um, you know, the Lewiston side, one half, and maybe the Tabor Rock side. And then when he was at Pawnee City, I know she switched sides at halftime. But it's really cool that that before game handshake with your dad before you're going into competition was what was, was it really, like? Really cool. Did he look you right in the eye? Did yeah, it, was it, it quick? It, and, it, and it, it was, on? it was quick, you, you know. And um, he had a very talented team. We had a good team. I, they knocked us off in a holiday tournament that we got them during the regular season. And so, I, again, you, you want to have success, right? You yep. want your team to win. But you're kind of caught in the middle because you also want your dad, who you love to death, and you admire to have some success right. as well. So it was just a – again, I don't know that many people can say that they played for, played against, and coached against their father, but what a great experience wow, it was. Wow, exactly. I do have one question, though. We'll move on to this just because I'm fascinated by it. So when you're a sophomore or the year they throw a box and one on you, mm-hmm. your senior year, right? You come home. You know, dads and sons, right? They like to talk about the sure. game. Here's what you did well. Um, what was that? Did you have conversations or was there, it, was it just, Hey, we're, we're, we're you, not you know, going to go there. A little bit, you know, they, they were pretty short and to the point and, and, and there wasn't a lot of discussion, but dad certainly, I let me know that it wasn't personal. Does that make sense? I yeah. mean, and again, I wasn't the most talented uh, player growing up, but I did have some success. And, and I think he kind of outlined that for them to have success, they need to do something a little bit different against our team. Yeah. And maybe something a little bit different against me as well. So I yeah. took that as much as a, of a compliment that he could give. I took that as a, as a compliment at that point in time. But, but really, probably my mom and I had more conversations about sports um, than dad. I think he really tried to maybe separate that a little yeah. bit. You know, you talked to me a little bit about your mother and you said she was the one that, that taught you service. You, know, you service people, service your community. Tell me a little bit about what she did to role model that for you. You bet. So um, mom was a very successful professional in the banking industry. Um, so we really grew up in Hickman. My dad's first coaching and teaching job was at Norris. And mom had a great job at uh, Nebraska Bank of Commerce or National Bank of Commerce. Um, she moved up very quickly. And we got to this point that my dad's dad passed away and it was time to move to the farm. Right. And that was tough on mom. You know, she grew up in Lewiston, but I don't know that she ever saw herself being on a farm, raising kids, raising pigs, raising cattle, all that fun stuff that comes with it. And so I would always admired mom that she kind of made that decision to support her husband. And I think she also knew that 
a farm was a great place to raise kids, mm-hmm. right? And so she sacrificed a lot regarding her her job to move to this little town of Virginia uh, to move out to a farm. Um, but she uh, became the president of the bank in Virginia. Um, but she was involved in every service organization you can imagine. It really kind of maybe drove my dad crazy at times. He gave her a hard time about never being home. Um, there was probably purpose in that too. That <laughs> maybe he gave my mom some uh, separation or some relief uh, from the farm. But um, yeah, that you're just going to step out. You're going to help out. Um, whether she was in a Legion Auxiliary, um, she was part of the cemetery board. She was on about every board that you can imagine. And that certainly was a great model for us growing up um, yeah. that, that it's just important to help others. And, and that's the thing I was going to say, can you remember something specifically from, from what you saw from her that you said, this epitomizes service. I mean, she was on the boards and she was involved, but something stand out to you that said, this is what epitomizes service and really dr- drove it home to you. You know, I, I think her service on the, the Lewiston school board, right? I think being a school board member yeah. is yeah. not always easy, you know, and I think doing that and, and kind of running a business at the same time or running the bank can be difficult. And I know, I just remember growing up that there were some challenges, right? And she faced maybe some some scrutiny um, through her position on the school board, but she just held strong in what she felt was right. And I think it's been, it was something she could have easily backed away from, mm-hmm. um, but she didn't, and she served on the board and served well for, for many, many years. And I'm proud to say that she is on the Lewiston Consolidated Schools Wall of Fame, um, and partly because of all the service that she, she provided. Yeah, well, both parents, amazing. And now let's talk about your path into the you professional bet. world. And it starts out working in the Nebraska Department of Corrections for six months. You graduate from college. And at this point, you're not thinking education, right? Not thinking education. Why right. the Department of Corrections? What was appealing to you? You, you know, I, I graduated from Prue State College with a psych social degree and probably didn't have a real strong idea of how I was going to use that um, degree. And social work, um, something in that capacity. I just knew I wanted to work with people. I didn't know at that point in time that would lead me to working with inmates, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, caught on with a program called Nebraska Life Skills, and that really entailed working directly with inmates on um, that transition to the real world or, or being released in anywhere from, at that point in time, balancing a checkbook to job applications, um, you know, paying bills, really is what it came down to. And so I worked there about six months. It was interesting. Weird to say you do build some connections there as well. But during, the whole, during that time, I was also coaching youth I was an assistant coach at Southeast Consolidated Basketball Coach, and so I just knew my passion was to work with kids, and a way to do that was to go back to school and to get an education degree, and, and I knew that was kind of my avenue into working with youth. So you've got to go back to get that, to finish mm-hmm. up that, and you say, look, I want to get into teaching, and, it, and, and if I believe right, you get to Stella, Nebraska, I do. right? What, what lessons did you learn from a leadership standpoint? I know you grew up in a small town, but now you're in a leadership role. You're coaching basketball. You're teaching. What lessons did you learn about small town coaching? You bet. Um, You know, I I loved it because all the kids were involved, right? Um, From an early age, a lot of strong parent support. Um, But along those same lines is there's a lot of parent involvement, sometimes maybe not the most positive, mm-hmm. right? And when, you, when you're when you working in a small town and you go to the grocery store, you go to the Pizza Hut, you're going to see those parents, right? And, and just understanding that not all those parents 
are maybe happy with you or happy with the job that you're doing or happy with their kids playing time. Um, but again, it all comes back to uh, doing what's in the best interest of that kid and doing what's in the best interest of our program as well. I think a lot of lessons learned was that I didn't know a whole heck of a lot, right? I think yeah. you step into those roles and you think you have it figured out. And I think I had to, I had to figure out early and often that I need to reach out to some of my peers, had to reach out to my dad, uh, some of my former coaches about how to be successful, right? Because you have a script going into it and this is how I'm going to run my program. And sometimes that's just not mm -hmm. effective. Right. Do you remember one thing that you went into in your first leadership job in coaching where you're like, I really thought this was going to work and it didn't and I had to pivot. Is there anything that stands out about that first time where you had to be humble enough then to reach out to your dad and others and say, hey, look, I had this plan and I got to take a detour real quick. You know, I think uh, thinking about those first years at Southeast and being a head coach, um, we had really great athletes. Um, we had farm kids that knew how to work really hard, but probably weren't the most polished fundamentally. And so, you know, going in and, and thinking, okay, we're going to throw in six, 16 different sets, right? We're going to run three different types of presses. We're, you know, we're going to put in these different types of press breaks to going, we need to get back to our, the fundamentals first. Um, and so how do we do that uh, is something that I really leaned on. Uh, my dad, I had good assistant coaches. So we kind of had to build that foundation first before um, we could start throwing multiple things at you. You know, you walk in there with a playbook that's 75 pages long, and we're just going to, the kids are going to pick this up. But I learned early that it really starts with the, with the fundamentals. And if we take that concept, because obviously mm -hmm. we can apply that, you know, now as superintendent um, in every leadership role you've had, um, when do you know when you can start pushing more on your people. In other words, with your athletes, hey, they can only handle right now this much. Let's get right. to the fundamentals. But when do you know as a leader that, hey, I can push a little bit more here and give a little bit sure. more to my team? Yeah, and I mentioned, you know, in our conversations before this, it really comes down to relationships. You know, I think that's that is certainly that's the key of developing strong and powerful relationships. Um, once you can kind of build that foundation and get to know um, maybe it's the athletes you're working with or uh, the teachers um, you're, you're working with or maybe the teachers you're leading or it's your administrative team. If you can build those relationships, you can kind of find out where they're at, right, where they're at in their process. If that relationship doesn't exist, that's hard to figure out. And so for me, and maybe that stems from my mom and dad too, is just how critical it is to build those relationships. I remember my first teaching job where when I moved to Wahoo – I was teaching in a behavior disorder classroom where I had 13 young men, grades 6 through 12th grade, with high-needs kiddos that were pretty much in my room all day long and stepping in with this, this idea or this philosophy that I was going to step in with kind of the iron fist and mm -hmm. I was going to be the man in charge and they're just going to listen to me. I'm going to have the loud voice and, and figuring out within the first probably 15 minutes that was not effective, right? And figuring out that how they were going to respond to me or how I was going to have success is to get to know them individually, build some connections. So I learned a lot about skateboarding. I learned a lot about uh, cars and mechanics and things like that. But um, I think that was really a point in time in my career that I had this, this shift of, again, how important relationships are in this, in this business. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit more about that in just a second. But sure. you got your first real opportunity in leadership. When you are at Wahoo, you go from uh, working with your colleagues, you know, on a 
you know, lateral basis to getting promoted into uh, an administrative position. Sure. And you said one of the first things you learned was how to go from being that that colleague, right, to right. all of a sudden, you know, in quotes, right, you are now a boss. Right. Walk us through, because there are so many business people, so many folks in education that are now in that role mm-hmm. where they go from a salesperson to a sales leader um, or, or again, a, a coach to an administrator. What advice do you give them to make that transition? Yeah, I, again, I think maybe I was naive to think that that transition would just be pretty seamless and pretty easy because, again, I, I felt like I had pretty strong relationships uh, with the folks that I had been working with, with my peers, with my uh, fellow teachers. It wasn't that easy. You know, moving into then the role of a boss or the administrator, um, that can be challenging, you know. Um, and again, making sure that you understand that when people ask questions or maybe there's some pushback that it's not personal, um, that it's maybe what they believe is what's in the best your interest. Father right, you, right? What's yeah. in the best interest of our of our kiddos of our, our school district. And so again, I, I think I had to really become thoughtful about um, what I was saying now as a leader, um, what I was expecting now as a leader. I think the hard part is relationships can change as well, right? Some really close relationships. There was still a relationship there, but maybe that got they got fragmented a little bit. Um, and I think that's just the nature. You have to be prepared for that as well. Ed Rostovsky was a great uh, role model for me. He was a superintendent that really gave me my opportunity at Wahoo. And I leaned on him a lot about that part of it. You know, mm-hmm. again, being a relationship person and you kind of see maybe the separation or maybe a division there because now you're the boss and you're putting expectations on your friends. Um, that can be challenging, right? Um, but if you're truly going to be le- be a leader, um, you have to have expectations. You have to hold people accountable, right? And I think it, so long as they know what you stand for, and we talk a lot about always putting the kid or the student first, mm-hmm. I think if they understand that's where you're at and that's what your goal is and that's what you're about, um, those conversations can become a little bit easier. So I think it's really about communicating Again, your philosophy and and what you stand for and what you believe in, I think if people understand where you're coming from, it, it helps them hop on board a little bit easier. Well, you're a colleague, too, and there's that, that moment where you realize that, you know, that likability, right, might not mm-hmm. always be there. Like, hey, we were buddies, and now all of a sudden I'm in this role of, of leadership and responsibility. And that has to be hard as well. Sometimes people avoid those tough Sure. conversations or that accountability because it's like, look, I, I, I like that the fact that we have a good relationship and we like each other. Right. How do you get over that? How do you, again, how do you recommend or, or coach someone to say, this is how you have to get over I, that likability wall? I, I think you need, again, to lean back on others, right? I think I didn't quite understand that at first, right? I think people, you just feel like people are going to jump on board and they're going to hop on your train and they're going to follow you. Um, when you find out that that's not necessarily the case, I think you have to have people that you can go to to communicate, right? That is this part of the process? Is this part of the job, right? And then you have to be prepared that it is. Yeah. Um, it's not always easy. I, sometimes they can say that, you know, administration can be a lonely place. And I think there is some truth to that. Um, I don't fully buy into that because, again, I, I think you can still have some pretty strong connections and some strong relationships and still be a successful leader at the same time. But, but again, having conversations with my wife coming home and saying, you know, I had a hard conversation today or I had to let somebody go from coaching today that I've considered a really good friend. 
Um, also, I think just being a strong communicator yeah. and a, a good listener as well, because when you're having those conversations, you need to communicate your point of view, but you also have to listen as well. But yeah, come home and, and talk to Michelle and say, hey, this wasn't easy. This didn't go well, mm-hmm. you know, and having her kind of give you some acknowledgement that it was still the right decision or again reach out to former superintendents or current superintendents that this is a decision i had to make was it the right one and having them validate the decision yeah that's one thing for sure a trait you have very humble you're willing to reach out to others to get input but i'm also curious why why administration what was the driving force in your heart that said this is where i want to go you know Certainly, I, I felt like I was making an impact, sometimes positive, maybe sometimes negative, too, uh, through coaching and through working in the behavior disorder classroom. I just really felt like my reach could be maybe extended um, in an administrative role. You know, I, I greatly respected um, some of my mentors. Again, Ed Rostowski, he's probably one that maybe saw something in me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know, quite sure know what that was, but, <laughs> but maybe saw something in me. That, that said to him, I would be a successful administrator. Yeah. Again, success is at different levels, and, and uh, but he's one that really pushed me into uh, getting that administrative degree. Um, you know, I really, Paul Eady was another one. Yeah. Um, he was kind of my mentor when it came to the activities or athletic director's position. I really enjoyed watching Paul work, you know, um, I, you know, Kind of moving into that uh, that administrative position, but still having a connection with athletics and coaches was something that really intrigued me as well. And so I think that just kind of what spurred me on to moving out of the classroom and into um, an administrative position. I don't know, you know, going into it, when I started, that was never really an end goal for me. You yeah. know, I, th- I thought I'd see myself teaching and coaching throughout. I didn't aspire to be an administrator um, but I, again, I had some people around me that kind of pushed me that direction. And they sort of talked to you. If, if I were to pull them aside, we have a quiet conversation, say, Paul, Ed, tell me, what is it you saw? And I know this is hard because you're oh, a humble boy. guy. Give me one or two things that you think in your heart they may have seen and said, this is why I thought this guy could be a, a that, leader of hard, a school Tim. system. You know, yeah, I know I, it is. That, that's hard. You know, I, I, I think when it came to the athletic director's position, kind of a whatever it takes mentality, yeah. right? Um, that that can be a tough job and it can be, it's a lot of time and it's a lot of effort. And, but I think I, sh- I, I maybe showed early that I was willing to show up to work early and stay late, um, that if we were gonna ho- host an event, it was gonna be done right. Um, we were gonna be there to greet the coaches as they, as they get off the bus. We're gonna make sure that the dugouts were clean, they had water, they had what, you know, the teams that came in, they had what they needed. Um, we just really wanted the environment to be welcoming and inviting. Uh, we wanted teams to have a good experience when they came to our district. So I think maybe a work ethic, yeah. you know, an, uh, a want to do the job correctly. Yeah. Um, and then, again, I think the other part, maybe what Ed saw in me was, you know, I don't know. This is hard, Tim. I know, you know it, is. This, it is. Maybe this ability to build connections and build relationships with others, while at the same time of maybe having an ability to hold them accountable yeah. as well. So yeah. that, that's a tough question for me to answer. But, it is, yeah. because you're a humble guy. But here's what I, I can guarantee, and I want to transition to this. If you look at your key to your leadership, when you when you and I talked about this before the show, it's it's absolutely fitting. They saw your ability to connect with people, to build relationships, and... In essence, that leads to a winning culture, right? Sure. These are things you hang your hat on, 
And I think any leader is like, hey, I see this in this young guy. Um, so let's start with the three R's, relationships, relationships, you relationships. You say that is really the key of where it starts for you as a leader. But here's the thing, Jason, we can talk relationships. Mm-hmm. But now I want to know how you would say specifically, this is how you build a relationship with a salesperson if you're a sales leader or you know, your administrative person or a teacher. How do you build that relationship? I, I think it takes calculated effort to do that. I think you have to uh, be thoughtful. Um, you have to make it a priority as well. And so I think um, stopping in my current position, stopping in teacher's classrooms, um, just to check in, especially with our new teachers that are coming in, um, just checking in, how are things going? What do you need? Um, how's things for you here at Ashton Greenwood? Good news is typically I get a lot of great feedback, positive feedback um, with our administrative team. I think it's about spending time together. Um, I feel blessed that we have an administrative team that loves to spend time together, that really supports each other. Um, I think with the Board of Education, it's about having conversations and again, spending time with those folks. And, and so I think you have to be very calculating. You have to make an effort to build those connections, build those relationships. The challenge can be is sometimes you get pulled away from that. You know, I think that's been a challenge for me over the past couple of years with new building, new construction, lots of meetings of maybe losing sight or getting pulled away from making those connections. Mm-hmm. And so again, going into this school year, that's been a point of emphasis for me is to be more visible. Um, and again, some of those things that you want to get comp- accomplished during the day, you know, you can get multiple emails and, and get caught up in doing oh. different projects and maybe waiting until you get home that evening to work on, that, you know, some of those housekeeping type um, activities or jobs that you got to do and really focus on during the day building those connections. So that might be stopping yeah. out at, at lunch duty. Uh, visiting with the kids and, the, um, you know, making a point to be at the front doors at the primary building as parents are dropping off their, those ki- their kiddos and giving high fives and giving, giving fist bumps to uh, same process at the intermediate to stationing myself in a hallway at the middle school, high school. I just think that you have to be very calculating. Yeah, yeah, no, without a doubt, very intentional. Mm-hmm. You talked about building culture, and one of the things I love, and I think this is so important for anyone, whether you're running a school or whether you're running a business, you know, you say that your aim is to make sure that putting students at the center of all you do at Ashland Greenwood is your aim, right? That's your focus. That's, That's focus. how you build right. that culture. How important is it? Talk to that business owner. Talk to that educational leader. To have that one thing, you're, you fall back on, when in doubt, we're going to look at how this affects our student, right? Right. And so often, people don't necessarily have that one specific vision, but the importance of having that, what advice would you give to people? You know, in education, having that focus helps because it's the same focus that the parents have as well. They just want what's best for their child. They just want what's best for their student. You know, if that's our philosophy and our mantra, we're, we're already kind of on the same page um, with that parent. But I think having a streamlined focus in the world of education, I'm sure it's the same as the corporate business world. You can get caught up in a million different things. You can get caught up in what's the next new philosophy or what's the next new idea um, that school districts are trying or they're incorporating on what we focus really on. What we focus on is the Blue Jay way and how we're going to do business and what works for us. And I think what works for us is you know, we really, our aim has been always to raise the bar. You'll yeah. hear that mantra. Yes. You know, we want to have high expectations across the board. Um, and I think we shift a little bit of how are we going to raise that bar as we're going to put the kids at the center of everything 
that we do. I think back to when we go through our hiring processes, you know, we're not always hiring the person that looks maybe the best on paper or has the most experience or the several degrees. It's really figuring out who's going to be the best fit for us. And again, in my mind, that's two things. It's a person that wants to build relationships and it's a person that wants to put the student at the center of everything we do. The business can be hard. Education can be hard at times. It's been hard with COVID and, yeah. and different things. The political climate has certainly changed. But again, as a staff, if we can come back and put the kids at the center, it makes it a little bit easier. Oh, yeah. um, it helps you sleep at night. Um, it helps you kind of work through some of those challenging, difficult situations or conversations that you might have to have with a parent or a staff member because you can always fall back on that. Yeah, it's your guiding light, which is. is great. And and when companies and, and, and schools have that, boy, you can fall back on it. You know, you talk about relationships. You talk about building a culture. And why I think superintendents are fascinating in the role that you're in is that as a business owner, you've got your people within your organization, right? Sure. That you're building those relationships with and that culture. But as a superintendent, it's more than just those folks in the in the halls of the school mm-hmm. and those students. Um, it's the community. You bet. And um, you know, for instance, you went through a bond issue sure. recently, right? And you've got a lot of competing interests that you've got to balance. And that leadership and those relationships are so important. Talk about that part of the job because that is a monstrous part when you go outside of the walls of the school you know that that is a huge part of the position right and i think especially in a community like ashland like greenwood in a c1 size school district right the expectation is that you're going to be present you're going to be visible you're going to be at events you're going to be at concerts which i enjoy i enjoy being part of those activities you're going to be part of rotary club you're going to be part of the civic center committee um chamber so again but that kind of goes back to what i was taught by my mom yeah right right. she was the model for that of you're going to be involved and so i think that kind of comes by naturally but i think that's where you can build those connections with people outside of your district as well and so i think that's aided me that's helped um that want to build connections as we navigated through a bond issue um, you know, I think hopefully people saw me as somebody that was transparent, somebody that was visible. I try to tell people my door is always open, stop by the office, give me a call, shoot me an email, whatever it might be. And again, making sure that you're communicating, you know, your, your thoughts and your opinions um, about, say, maybe the bond issue as an example. But then you're also acknowledging the other side as well and being a good listener. Um, I think that's that is, that's important. And then you might just get to the point where you have to agree to disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was there was those conversations being had uh, navigating through that bond issue. But but again, I felt I felt like people were heard. You know, mm-hmm. I think we also made a concerted effort to get out into different communities to get to Ash, to get to Greenwood, to get to Memphis, um, Ashland, to give people an opportunity to voice their opinions and in, in what's out there. But again, I think that's. That's become more of a challenge um, as our district continues to grow. And we've gone through the construction process of making sure that I'm still being visible. I'm still being seen. And the good news is I just became a grandpa, too. So, so, <laughs> the, so the little guy, the little guy's <laughs> taking part of my time as well right now this fall. Oh. But, but again, I think 
uh, that's a huge part to the superintendency, and it's a part that I really, I really enjoy. And I, I'm sure it would be the same for business owners, yeah. um, business yeah. leaders. Um, that visibility is really important. Oh, well, that little guy will have a basketball in his hands, I'm sure. Really oh, already, soon. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I figured. Um, you know, you talk about navigating so many different elements. Here's another thing. And I know you can speak. I'm sure there's a lot of superintendents that are going to relate to this and business owners. But you had a monumental challenge, COVID, 2020. About um, you know, you've got to manage that. And again, you look at so many different competing views and interests. Sure. That's almost like crisis management. How mm -hmm. did you walk through and, and approach that challenge back in 2020? You bet. What a challenge that was. I mean, uh, came kind of out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, that last quarter, we were shutting mm -hmm. school down, not by choice, right? Because um, I don't think anybody really knew, right. right? And again, how do we navigate through our kiddos no longer being in our buildings, but still trying to provide an education and, and staff members that are not in our buildings and, and navigating through instructing while you're not in a classroom and then also understanding that we don't know what's going on in those staff members' particular families related to covid as well, or our students' families related to COVID. Do they have sick loved ones? Um, are mom and dad out of work now? You know, there's just a lot of changing dynamics there. I would say I'm so thankful and blessed to be able to work through that challenging time be related to my administrative team. I leaned on them heavily. Uh, we had many, many, many great, I'd say great conversations, productive conversations about what do we do? You know, what is our next step? And again, every every district, you're going to borrow ideas from other districts or, you know, lean, reach out to what other districts are doing. But again, trying to find out or navigate through what's our best avenue. What's the Blue Jay way to handle this situation? And so, you know, a lot of it we, we figured out or we knew our staff members needed to be supported through this. And, and you know, we did things to where we uh, administrators, we went and visited each staff member's house and provided them a small gift, you know, and took pictures with them to, again, just let them know that, hey, we're thinking about you, we're here. Um, you know, we, we tried to provide resources um, to our students and our parents as well. I think we made a very concerted effort to try to simulate or parallel the education that they would be getting behind our walls when mm -hmm. they're not there. Yeah. You know, and then again, being understanding that we probably don't have, we have, probably have a small understanding of, of the true impact of what's going on. Right. So without my team, Tim, I, they, they were huge. They oh, were and, huge. And that is a perfect transition. Let's talk about your team because I love part of your philosophy as well. You said, you know, look, I hire great people and then I let them come in and do their job. You bet. You've got uh, two principals of the year um, uh, in your districts. You've got Amanda Moon, uh, right. a new principal here, came from the Westside District. Of course, Brad Jacobson uh, in the high school. I mean, you have developed an amazing team. So let's start first off. When you say, I hire great people and let them do their job, how do you balance that to make sure that, you know, you're, you are giving that direction, but yet you also let them have and use their skills and their talents to run uh, their departments fittingly? You bet. I want to be careful about when I say I hire great people. It really should be we hire great people. And, right. and, and that really stems from... Um, our administrative team, um, you know, if we're hiring an administrative team, I want the other administrators involved in that hiring process. I want them to have a large say in who we're going to hire because they're going to be directly working with that person probably the most. I want to make sure that my fellow administrators, my fellow team members 
see that person being a good fit for our team as well. Um, I try not to dictate what I believe is best or what I think is best or what I might even know about this person through past experiences. I really want them to be the driving force of who we're going to hire. Ultimately, it's my final decision, right, Mm -hmm. to make a recommendation to the board. But again, because there's such trust um, and value between each other as team members, I think we've been very successful. You know, we have a very thorough hiring process for our administrators and our staff members that it really vets out um, the best people and, again, the right fit. And so it's funny when we kind of get to the end of the process, the hiring process, we're typically all on the same page about who that right fit might be, Uh, whether it was Amanda Dustin Detterding's been a recent hire. We moved Matt Flynn from the classroom yes. to an administrative position. Uh, Brad was, you know, a teacher coach in the district, moved into administrative position successfully. Kristen Fangmeyer's a rock star. Megan Pohl. Yeah. Um, we just got a great, great crew there. And, again, I think it's because of our hiring process. And, again, those folks – are probably a lot more knowledgeable than myself or they have a lot of great insight as well. So it would be a shame for me to not listen to them, to not take their input and say, no, 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 we're going to take, this is who we're hiring. And again, I said, I think it sets that person up for failure as well, right? If it's solely my decision and I went against the grain of what my administrative team wants. Not to say that I don't have to do that at times, but um, it's really great to have a team that's on the same page. Yeah. You know, um, you, you have this incredible team. Now, interestingly enough, you came over from Wahoo, Correct. Nebraska <laughs> to Ashland Greenwood. For those folks who are watching this show saying, hey, I don't know the dynamic there. Well, you know, they're a little bit of a rivalry here. Sure. The Saunders County rivals. And, uh, you know, we, we know and love a lot of the folks over there. But, Without a but, doubt. Yeah. Without but a doubt. it's been kind of a fun little rivalry over the years. So what was that like? I mean, to come in here as a, as a Wahooligan, as we like to call him, into Ashland sure. Greenwood to, your, to a rival? Because there is a little something there to balance. There, there is. There? You know, number one for me, when the position came open, um, I was happy with where I was at. You know, I looked at a couple different administrative positions, um, but it really felt like it had to be the right situation because I was happy as the high school principal in a good district um, at Wahoo. But when the Ashland position came open, it's like, I got to jump at this, right? It just feels right. I knew a lot of the folks at Ashland. I had much respect for Dr. Peace and Dr. Kassebaum and Brad and, and just some of the coaches that I'd worked with uh, during my time as athletic director at Wahoo. And so, again, it was just a very enticing position. Um, and one of the things I always respected about Ashland Greenwood was that relationship piece, you know, I felt like I could, I, bu- I built strong connections without even being a, an employee within that district. Um, but the other part is, is just that there's high expectations across the board, right? From academics to activities to um, athletics, there's just this high standard. And so uh, I jumped at the position, um, of course, not knowing, I, I knew a lot about the district, not knowing if they were going to accept the Wahooligan from, from <laughs> up, up, up north. And so... Um, but again, through that process, just really try to be myself. You know, when I got the position, we were ecstatic. Um, also, it gave the opportunity for us to live in Ashland. My wife, Michelle, still works in, in Wahoo. And so that worked out well. And, uh, you know, one of the first things I, I ran into, I think Chuck Niemeyer or Dave Lutton, one of the two, and they were, they were telling me about the county seat being stole, stole 
in the middle of the cloak of darkness in the middle of the night and I don't know, 18 something. And I kind of chuckled at that, but just figured out that they were serious about that, that county seat, that county seat being stole, stolen. And then um, just again, the rivalry between the two districts. Now, I think that rivalry has made the two districts really strong. I do too. Over the years. And I will say I've been accepted. We've been accepted with open arms. Uh, within the community, I'll hear, I'll get the ribbing every once in a while, you know, especially if Wahoo comes down to play football or there's a ball game, I'll kind of get a ribbing a little bit. But, um, but no, it, it's been fun. And um, I just, again, I feel blessed for where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there have been, I think there is a strong mutual res- respect too between the two programs. I which think so. I, yes. Which uh, some great friends over there. You know, if you think back to where Ashland's come, I mean, you talked about, you know, the incredible administrative team that you've Mm -hmm. hired. It is a landing spot now. And Jason, 15, well, let's say 20 years ago for sure, it wasn't a landing spot. Um, The district was, I mean, the town I grew up, and by the way, I'm an Ashlander, I love Ashland and I'm proud of it, but I grew up in the day where it was trash land, right? Sure. The school system wasn't necessarily terribly respected. And then all of a sudden, you got some really strong administrators mm-hmm. in there, and the, pro, the, the, the school district changed. And now, Ashland Greenwood has become a landing spot. Tell me about the ability to recruit, and and how the the you know with the community and the and the view of Ashland now how it's changed over say the last twenty five sure. years. Sure. And again, I feel very blessed that I stepped into a situation that had prior great leadership, right? And what Dr. Peace was able to accomplish, and then Dr. Kassebaum. I stepped into a really good situation. And, and again, a lesson learned is is don't come in right away and try to change or fix, especially if it isn't broken, right? That, that first year, I truly looked at, looked at it as a gift. That was my opportunity to evaluate and to see and to, to really validate if what I knew about Ashland Greenwood was true, and I was thankful that it was. And so really, it was just carrying on um, the m- momentum that was already there. And so... Certainly, there's great leadership within the community. I mentioned a couple of those leaders with Chuck and Dave. Again, what I heard early on about the community was that we want the community to change, right? We don't want to be known as that. Right. And that takes leadership, and that takes fortitude, and, and I think the community has done that. Boy, if you look at our downtown, you know, it's very progressive. Beautiful, yeah. Um, school district-wise, you know, we talk about location, and obviously we're in a great location. That's part of it, but also I, I'm biased, but I feel like we have a great product to offer as well. Um, that's why I think we have parents seeking us out, and we have educators seeking us out. Um, you know, the pool of educators is becoming much less, very slim, um, because the job is hard, and, and young people look at the starting wage, and they don't look maybe at the full benefits, and so... It's getting harder and harder to hire staff. Um, however, I think, again, we're a landing spot. We're a place, a destination point where we're seeing people seeking us out, um, which is thrilling, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that to me, that says a lot about our district. Um, we had our, our staff members, new staff members, introduce themselves at our board meeting the other night. And, and we have teachers that have been in the Fort Calhoun district or the West Side district or the Lakeview district. Um, Milford District that want to be in Ashland, mm-hmm. you know, and these are experienced, um, successful teachers. And to me, that that says a lot. And at the same time, I'm pretty proud of the fact, um, I think your wife is one of them, right, of the, the folks that have grew up in Ashland, right, and that have maybe went off to college or, or maybe taught a year or two in a different district that want to come back and be a part of our culture and want to be part of our, our school system is huge. And 
And I think there, there can be maybe this misnomer that you, you maybe shouldn't hire back people that have graduated from a school system. I don't believe in that. I think those folks are so invested, not only in our school system, but our community. And your wife, Jenny, certainly is a, is a, well. is a testament to that. And so, so again, I think, uh, yeah, I think it's about what do you want to be? And we've had a lot of conversations, um, you know, kind of through the budgeting process and just through the um, educational process of what do we want Ashland Greenwood to be? Obviously, we want it to be the best. Yeah. Again, I'm biased, but I think, I think we're, we're, we're building towards that. But again, that has very little to do with me. It has to do with my predecessors and my teammates. Yeah. Well, 23 years ago, we bought a, a lot out at Iron Horse in Ashland, Nebraska. And I'll never forget one of the developers saying to us that, well, we're not sure about the reputation of the school. Okay. And I said, boy, let me get you in touch with someone because you got to know what Ashland Greenwood's doing. That's the power of leadership. And that's the power of vision. And now, you know, 23 years forward, right? And all these years, people are looking at that district as you a bet. standout district. So it's, it's, it's really amazing. And Appreciate it shows you the power of leadership. Hey, we're taking a little break in the show to make sure you know about Farmers and Merchants Bank of Ashland. Not many banks have been around for 139 years, but Farmers and Merchants Bank of Ashland has. And why? Because they offer full service business banking, and you'll always speak to a live human being when you give them a call at Farmers and Merchants Bank of Ashland. They're commercial lenders. They are more than happy to share their expertise and to help you navigate any business financing that you may need, including SBA, TIF, or NEDCO financing. So go to fmnb.com. Right below me, you're going to see that website or give them a call at 402 944 3316. Member FDIC and equal housing lender. One other thing. When I asked you this, before we get to our three and out questions, you know, when I said, what, what's the secret sauce? What makes Action Greenwood special? You said, Tim, last Friday night on the, the fence at the Memorial Stadium, the, the players put the, ten, the, the cups up that said family. You said, in a heartbeat. That's what our secret sauce is. It's family. Expand on that. You bet. I, I think we try to ingrain that in everything we do, you know, whether it's small things like referring to, I refer to our staff members as Blue Jay family members. If I'm sending out an email or a correspondence, I, I just want them to understand that we are truly a family here. I think we challenge, kind of do weekly challenges for our staff members to build connections with our students, but then also build connections with each other as well. Um, so we, we really feel like a tight knit family. Family members can disagree, right? Right, that's <laughs> but right. But typically, you always come back to loving each other and supporting each other. And so that's just what we do. So that was that made my heart warm to see that family scrolling across the fence. And, and I would hope as families, parents come into our district, or again, as we have candidates interviewing for a position, or that what people are hearing about our school district, that it is truly a family, um, that we truly take care of each other, we truly lean on each other. We talk a lot that this job can be hard, education can be hard, but so long as we have somebody that we can lean on, um, we're, that's going to help. And at the same time, we talk a lot about we're going to work hard, but we're going to have fun as well. So we try to find different ways to enjoy each other's company, um, whether it's a golf outing or end of the year get together or Christmas party or just different themes during a week, um, again, to acknowledge each other and to enjoy each other's yeah. company. So. Again, I'm biased, Tim, but I just truly feel like it's a family-type culture and atmosphere. One of the challenges that we've talked about as an administrative team as we continue to grow 
right? As we continue to to break out into four buildings instead of two, how can we continue to maintain that family type culture? And I think we have a good vision, a good plan for that, and I think we'll, we will do that. That's already important. working That's on important. it. And I know, I know your daughter's off at college, and and your youngest, and and she had a tie in to family, right? Did she have a tie in to that story? Yeah, just you know, going back to when she made that transition as an eighth grader, yes. right? And and that can be challenging. You yeah. know, those middle school years can be tough. Now, yeah. the good news was, Kiara built some pretty strong connections with Sage Craven and some girls from Ashland yeah. through club ball and things like that. So she had some some friendships here. But that's always a challenging thing of moving into a new district. Yeah, I didn't have to go through it, but it was something certainly we, my wife and I, we had talked about. And um, however, I felt pretty confident about that transition because I, what I knew about the district, but you just never know. And yeah. she came in right away. And I think she, from day one, she was made to feel very welcome. Yeah. Um, you know, she, she was partnered up with some friends, some good friends. She had a really good class. And I think the staff members, you know, extended a hand out to her too, to make her feel welcome. Uh, the district allowed us to come down in the spring before I officially took the job. She spent a day or two uh, just with what her, her classmates, her future classmates, and that was huge. The other thing I was going to say about yeah. Kiara, again, about our district, and I talked about high expectations. When she transitioned as an eighth grader, she noticed from day one that there was high expectations across the board. You know, And that's one of those areas, You know, I think it's Sometimes districts can be strong in athletics or they can be really strong in fine arts or maybe two of the three, right? Maybe not as strong in academics or really strong in academics, but maybe the other two areas don't have that same type of expectations. When she started school at Ashton Greenwood, she noticed right away that academically she was going to get pushed. And not only was that music to my ears as a parent, it was music to my ears as an administrator as well. And I think that was just her experience all the way from eighth grade to graduation that she got pushed, that her teachers had high expectations for her. However, she also knew that they cared about her. She could go to staff members and ask for help um, when needed. I think that really set her up for success beyond high school. And I think she's not the only one. I, I think that happens often yeah. within our district, but that was just, a, again, a personal experience. And again, validated what I knew about the district, that there was high expectations across the board. Well, we're going to do a little three and we're out of here. This okay. is kind of random and, and crazy questions I'm going to throw at you, but you'll have some fun with this. The first one, we know you could shoot, right? You were a <laughs> heck of a scorer in basketball. Shot a lot. And you said there's some other great superintendents out there that, that uh, could play hoops. Who's a guy you'd like to take, or a gal that you'd like to take on in her horse? Oh, wow. And, and you'd win. Uh, I've got to say probably Dr. Kassebaum, right? Oh. I, I've heard I heard stories about Dr. K. Um, I don't know how, how good of a shooter he was. I know he was a banger inside. He was a strong, <laughs> athletic dude. He played physical. Right, he's physical. So I'm not going to take it to, into the pain on Dr. Kassebaum, but... <laughs> But again, he's a guy that I would love to just play one-on-one. -on -one. I know he's probably in a lot better shape than I am right now, uh, but he's a guy that I would like to uh, to challenge. The other one is a, is a new, a good friend of mine that moved back to the area, yeah. uh, Colin Hacker at uh, Louisville. Yes. Um, Colin was the superintendent of Bruni Davenport. He's a guy I played against when he was at Odell. And you talk about a heck of a basketball player. Um, Colin was, was a, a tremendous athlete. And yeah. so he's another one I'd like to uh, – 
one of these days, just pick up the rock and say, let's let's get after it. But uh, yeah, I love yeah. it. This is great. Well, I saw a tweet one time where you said you're the only guy that could shut Kale Jacobson down. So <laughs> let's let's put you back when you're 18 years old versus the 18 year old Kale Jacobson. <laughs> walk never on said Nebraska. That. <laughs> <laughs> Ashlyn Reaver guy, you go up against him for 32 minutes. What do you hold him to? What do you hold him to? The old... Oh, my gosh. And what does he talking, hold you to? You're talking to? about back when I was in high school? Yeah, so you I, take your 18-year-old body I, I, versus I actually, his. I actually, despite what people think or understand, I was a pretty good defender in high school. Oh. And so, um, you know, what I would try to do with Kel is to try to play off of him um, because I know physically I couldn't stop him getting <laughs> to the rack. And hopefully that maybe he's not shooting the ball over overly well that night, I tried to draw two or three charges against him and maybe get him on the uh, on a pine early. But uh, if I could hold him under twenty five, I think that'd be a good day. That'd be a good day. I remember I, I Todd Binder scored like forty three on me, Tim, and Todd, Todd was a good player, very good player. Nothing against Todd, but Kel was probably a notch above. So uh, so again, my only hope would would be again to to sl- slide my slow feet in a position, draw some charges, and get him out of the game. I love it. We're gonna finish on this one. <laughs> That was a good one. Um, give me, since we're on a basketball thing, sure. let's just finish. Give me the basketball coach. Could be your father. Could be someone oh we, we all know. We don't know. Could be someone famous. The basketball coach that you think, I don't care about their wins, but you felt like was the best leader as a basketball coach. You know, I, I think one of our questions we talked about before the interview was was a disappointment maybe. And again, I think a disappointment was for me is not staying connected with some of my former coaches and teachers. And so I have to give credit to uh, Bill Bruin. Uh, Bill was my uh, basketball coach at Lewiston uh, when I came through the system there. And um, I don't know. I was a little bit tough to handle as a student and, and probably as a player as well. And so... Um, I got to probably thank, and I have thanked Coach Bruin for, again, putting me in a position I am today. He provided me a lot of guidance. He was very patient with me. Um, he's one of those guys I, I probably learned from him was that having a relationship, but the ability to hold somebody accountable as well. Because he certainly held me accountable. I didn't always like it. I probably didn't understand it at the time. But because I respected him so much, um, it really, he brought out the best in me. And again, I have to thank him for getting me probably off to college and again, pursuing the dream of playing basketball. And he's somebody that I don't talk to enough, but somebody I can still lean on it and connect with. So Bill Bruin was, and he was a successful coach, but he was more than just wins and losses. It was about building connections. Mm-hmm. Well, we will thank coach Bruin. We're going to thank your parents and uh, Ed Rostovsky and all those that helped you along you the bet. way. So glad you're at Ashland Greenwood, but I, I know that your message resonates well beyond just folks in Ashland. There's so much that can take from the challenges you've had from COVID to, you know, you name it, right? Uh, the, the, the leadership you provided at this school has been fantastic. So, well, I appreciate that, Tim. I don't know if I'm worthy to sit in this chair. I don't know if anybody got anything out of this. Um, but again, I just go back to that relationship piece is so critically important. Yeah, it is. Well, I can guarantee you, Kale Jacobson got something out of this. So he's going to know he's going to score 25. <laughs> That's <against> right. <laughs> That's right. So thank you, Tim. Thanks, Jason. A Huda Media Production.